listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity, since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. This is an evil in all that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts of humans are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But whoever is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Shauna, for that reading. So, this is going to be uplifting. Um, A quick heads up uh, about this sermon. So obviously we're talking about death uh, and the afterlife today. Um, And I I actually wrote this sermon really early in the week. Um, I was done with this by Wednesday, which like never happens. I'm never done that early with a sermon. Um, But then on Thursday, that's when I got word about my friend uh, who passed away unexpectedly. Um, And uh, that really rocked me. I thought about just scrapping the sermon uh, and completely rewriting it, but uh, to be honest, I'm not in the best headspace right now to write a new sermon about death, Um, so I am just going to go with what I prepared and hope that maybe uh, God will use this to bring a word of comfort. Uh, Before we get into it, though, let's pray. God, this is a tender subject. Uh, We ask for your comfort and your peace, especially on um, anyone in this room who's lost someone, Lord. Heal our broken hearts. Hold us in your arms. And God, uh, guide my words with your wisdom. Amen. Let's read our passage again, just so it's nice and fresh. Um, Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 1. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity, since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shut an oath. 
This is an evil in all that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts of humans are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Pause for a second. Time out. This is all pretty standard Ecclesiastes stuff so far, right? Like, we've, we've been in this book for, what, six, seven weeks now? We've seen this before. Um, everything is vanity. Everything is vapor, hevel. It's all passing away. Nothing lasts. And that includes us. How many times in this book so far have we heard this guy lament that everybody dies? Uh, he laments the injustice of mortality, the unfairness. And he's not wrong, right? It sucks. And personally, I kind of love that the Bible gives voice to this. I really love that there is room in Scripture for this level of lament and complaint. But it's this next part of the passage that troubles me a bit. Verse 4. But whoever is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Great line. I'm sorry, that's a great line. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. The word of God? <laughs> I guess. Um, this is unsettling, right? Like, this is a prob pretty problematic thing to read in the Bible. The dead know nothing. They have no reward. Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. I'm just going to be honest. I don't see much hope in this passage. I don't see a lot of comfort here. Where is the hope of heaven and resurrection? Where's the hope of Jesus returning someday to make all things new? Here's what we're going to do today. This is what I want to do with this text. I want to zoom out from this passage, and I want to look at the whole kind of scope of Scripture today. What hope does the Bible offer? What does and doesn't the Bible say about life after death to see if maybe we can make sense of this passage? Maybe we can unearth some wisdom here, and maybe even some hope. Does that sound like a plan? Can we do that today? Awesome. Um, I will say, too, this is going to be more of like a thinking sermon, a little more theological. Uh, you might want to take notes if you're a note-taking type. And just a reminder, next week we have sermon talk back after church. So if this provokes some stuff, if there are some questions, some thoughts, some feedback, we're going to have space to actually continue the conversation next week. Sound like a plan? Good. Awesome. Uh, let's start with the Old Testament, Old Bible 101. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, if you're not that familiar with it, that is totally okay. There are two testaments, two collections in the Bible. Uh, what Christians call the Old Testament is the Hebrew Scriptures, the story of ancient Israel, basically all the books from like Genesis to Malachi. And then the New Testament, you've got all the stories about Jesus and the early church. Are you somewhat familiar with this? Okay. Ecclesiastes is from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament does not have a lot to say about the afterlife. It's not a big theme. 
Um, there's not a lot of specifics. You can, you can read it for yourself. And Vincent, you can go to the next slide if you want. You can read the Old Testament for yourself. You can look for it. But you're not going to find a lot. The bulk of the Old Testament has almost nothing to say specifically about what happens after we die. I remember this really struck me um, the first time I read through the Bible. I did one of those Bible in a year plans where like you try to read the entire Bible over the course of a year. I think it was like the fourth time I actually tried it and I, and I got through it. Um, but it struck me how little the Hebrew scriptures have to say about life after death. We meet characters like Abraham, Moses, David, these, these giants of the faith, Esther, Ruth, and when they die, that's the end of their story. Like, you don't get depictions of souls going up to heaven. Um, Elijah goes up to heaven, but he's alive, so it like, doesn't count. <laughs> you, you, know, you, you, don't see, you don't see Joshua at Moses' funeral being like, he's in a better place now. Like, there, there's none of that, none of that. When people die in the Old Testament, what it usually actually says, the most common refrain we find, is that they lay with their fathers. King David dies, he lays with his fathers. Uh, King Solomon dies, he lays with his fathers. They're put to rest with the generations that came before them. There's even this one story I really love, uh, 1 Samuel 28. It's where King Saul visits a medium. He goes to a psychic. Uh, King Saul is freaking out. He thinks he's going to lose his kingdom, and he, he totally is. He's going to lose his kingdom. Um, so he was a bad king, though, so whatever. Um, but he, he goes to a psychic, and he asks her to conjure up the spirit of um, Samuel, the prophet, who, who's dead. He's been dead for years at this point. And when Samuel rises up from the grave, his first question is, why are you waking me? It's like, it's like, what do you want? I was having such a good nap. Why are you waking me? That's like the most explicit reference to the afterlife we get in the Old Testament, you guys. Um, life after death just wasn't on their radar. It's not a question the Old Testament is asking, which makes the Old Testament really unique among religions and religious texts. Most religions are obsessed with the afterlife, right? Like, it's all they talk about. Um, where are we going to go? What's going to happen? What do we do? In ancient Egypt, they had stories, legends about heroes who traveled down to the land of the dead. Um, the Egyptians were so obsessed with the afterlife, they buried rich people with all their stuff, right? Like, you really can take it with you, was, was the idea. Um, and then in, in Greece, it was similar. They had stories about Hades and the river Styx. Um, the Romans dreamed of ascending into the heavens to take their spot among the gods. Uh, the Vikings had Valhalla. Even in uh, Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, there are concepts like reincarnation and nirvana, all these religions trying to overcome the reality of death. Not so much the Old Testament. The Old Testament has this sort of, this cool indifference toward the afterlife. It's just not a big deal. Death comes for all of us. Get used to it. Stop trying to escape it and focus on living. I share this because this is the context of these words in Ecclesiastes. This is the background this is coming from. It sounds really harsh and like tone deaf to us, but that's because we're the spiritual descendants of like Vikings and Egyptians, right? We want, we want Valhalla. We want 
to, to go somewhere and take all our stuff. But that's just not the emphasis of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. That's not where the Israelites put their hope. What we do find in the Old Testament, though, the hope, right alongside this kind of cool indifference to the afterlife is a broader vision for the transformation of this world. Someday God's going to fix this place. Someday God will establish justice. Someday God is going to right every wrong, wipe away every tear, and make things right once and for all. Someday God is going to send a king, a messiah, who's going to rescue God's people, judge the living and the dead, and establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The prophets talk about this all the time. Um, Isaiah is always having these visions of a world where lions lie down with lambs and wolves snuggle up next to baby calves. The people of the world destroy their weapons, turn swords into gardening tools. The ancient Jews even had a word for this hope. You know it. They called it resurrection. The Old Testament doesn't have much to say. It doesn't give us many specifics about a personal afterlife, but it points us to resurrection. When we talk about resurrection as Christians, we're usually talking about, like, one guy, right? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ. One guy coming back from the dead. When the ancient Israelites talked about resurrection, they were envisioning the entire world being made new. A world where none suffered. A world where no one was exploited. A world where people didn't die before their time. There's something really dangerous about a faith that points to the transformation of the world instead of a personal afterlife. You'll put up with a lot of crap on this side of eternity if the people who are abusing you can convince you that you'll get heaven on the other side. It's a lot harder to keep down a people who believe that God is coming here to change this place. It's just a theory of mine, but I think this is part of the reason why every empire in Western history has tried to wipe out the Jewish people. They're not taking any crap on this side of eternity. (laughs) Right? Not from the Egyptians, not from the Romans, not from the Germans. When our Jewish friends and neighbors talk about salvation, they are envisioning liberation right here and right now. We don't know if the teacher in Ecclesiastes shared this view, though, by the way, because not everyone did. We don't know if the teacher, the speaker in Ecclesiastes, we don't know if they believed in resurrection or not. Um, There's that famous story in the Gospels where the Sadducees, the religious leaders, are questioning Jesus, and they confront him, and they start quizzing him on the resurrection. And it says, there's like a little side note, they didn't believe in resurrection. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, the Sadducees, the temple establishment, did not believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in any kind of afterlife. And of course they didn't. The people running the temple were colluding with the Romans. Enough of that dangerous talk of the world being made new. We like it 
just as it is, thank you very much. The official uh, Orthodox mainstream line of thinking in Jesus' day was that there was no afterlife. You died and that was it. Ecclesiastes seems to line right up with that. But Jesus didn't, importantly. The New Testament doesn't. The first Christians latched on to this radical hope of resurrection. Jesus believed in resurrection so much, he basically says, I'll prove it to you. Kill me and see what happens. <laughs> right? You can laugh, it's okay. Um, <clears throat> and in the New Testament, with the resurrection of Jesus, this radical hope of resurrection moves to the forefront. For the first Christians, the resurrection wasn't just some magic trick. It wasn't like a, a resuscitation, uh, bringing back one guy from the dead. They saw Jesus as a window into the future that awaits us all. They believed that Jesus' resurrection confirmed that death would not be the end. That one day all of us would rise with Christ and experience eternal life in God's kingdom. We see this uh, in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. We got it on the slides. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you see the fallen asleep language? Do you kind of get now where Paul's getting that from? That's, that's the Old Testament. That's King David laying with his fathers. Um, that's the prophet Samuel saying, why did you wake me, right? When the first Christians talked about death, remember these first Christians, they were all Jewish folks. They were, they were part of this tradition. And they used the language of falling asleep. But they believed that one day, Jesus would return to wake us up. That still doesn't quite answer our questions about the afterlife, though, does it? That still leaves a lot unanswered. Like, this resurrection thing sounds awesome, but it feels a long way off, right? Like 2,000 years and counting. Um, what happens in the meantime to those who've died? What happens between death and resurrection? Do we sleep? Do we rest? Do we go somewhere? Are we conscious? Do our souls go up to heaven and we, we wait there? Remember, again, we're the spiritual ancestors of the Egyptians and the Vikings. We want our afterlife. For a lot of us, that's what brought us into church. We were told, if, if you believe X, Y, and Z, um, if you say this prayer, if you confess Jesus as your Lord, you get to go to heaven when you die. For a lot of us, it wasn't Jesus that brought us into the faith. It was the promise of heaven. So I'm going to say something right now, um, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, so it's very important that we get this. I want you to catch the nuance on this, and like, let me explain. Okay, ready? <clears throat> Heaven can be an idol. Heaven can be an idol. Heaven can become the thing we put our faith in instead of Jesus. And that's not to say that heaven is bad. This is the nuance. This is the part you've got to catch. That's not to say that heaven is a bad thing. No, our hope in heaven is a good thing. 
Our hope for more than this is normal and natural. Our hope for resurrection, a world without pain, those are all good things. That yearning we have for a place where death is no more, pain is no more, that reunion with friends and loved ones we've lost, that's all good stuff. But good stuff becomes idols all the time. Anything that directs our hope away from Jesus can be an idol, even if it's good. There's this guy who walks around the village. Um, maybe you've seen him. He's, he's got a t-shirt and a sign that say, heaven and hell are real. I see him every day when I drive to church. Um, I've had many conversations with him outside the post office. Um, you know, he's always holding signs, repent, you know. Um, he never remembers me, which I'm a little offended at. I mean, <laughs> like, like, come on. Um, <clears throat> but I talked to Pastor Alicia about this actually this past week. He never remembers her either, so I don't feel so bad. Um, but any time you talk to this guy, he just starts right in with, do you know where you're going when you die? If you die tonight, would you go to heaven? Heaven, heaven, heaven. No mention of Jesus. He doesn't lead with, let me tell you about how Jesus changed my life. Um, let me tell you about how God became a human being and defeated death on the cross. No Jesus, just heaven. Do you know where you're going when you die? That's an idol. That is using fear of death to win a conversion. It's not biblical. Certainly not in line with the Old Testament. That is putting our attention on heaven instead of Jesus. The truth is, as I read it at least, the New Testament really doesn't give us a lot of details either about the afterlife. It doesn't tell us exactly what happens between death and resurrection. Jesus doesn't come back and go like, okay guys, uh, here's the 411 on the afterlife. Like, we, we, don't, we don't get a play-by-play. We don't get details. What Jesus does say is go make disciples. Go tell people about me. There aren't a lot of details in the New Testament about precisely what happens when we die. But there is a theme. There's a theme that comes up in the handful of references we do have. And I want to see if you can catch it. Um, probably the most famous reference to the afterlife in the New Testament is when Jesus is on the cross uh, and there's that, that thief, he's actually a, a political revolutionary, being crucified next to Jesus. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You guys know this story? What does Jesus say to the thief on the cross? That's right. I tell you the truth. Verily I say unto you in the King James, today, <laughs> today you will be with me in paradise. That's still kind of vague. Right? Like, I don't exactly know what paradise means. Is it, is it heaven? Like, like the Greeks imagined? Is it Valhalla? Is it Hawaii? Uh, <laughs> um, is, are we conscious in paradise? Is it like a state of bliss? I don't know. It's, it's not super specific. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's our, that's our first reference. Oh, and by the way, like, you, you get what this means too now. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief is not asking about heaven, right? No, he's, he's Jewish. He's asking about God's kingdom coming on earth. So again, not sure what that means. 
Um, we get a couple more references to the afterlife in Paul's letters, and that's really about it, you guys. Um, that's about all we have to work with. There's one reference in 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul's writing about Christians who've passed away, fallen asleep. Um, same question we might ask, where are they? What happens? Um, and Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Super comforting, not super specific, right? Then years later, um, Paul was in prison for his faith uh, in Rome, and he writes this letter to a church in Philippi. Um, we call it Philippians. And it's a pretty dark letter, uh, serious Ecclesiastes vibes. Paul is facing his own mortality. He knows he's going to die. Um, and he writes this. One of my favorite passages of the entire Bible, Philippians 1. <clears throat> For to me, to live is Christ and death is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me, for me. Yet I cannot say which I will choose. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's saying, I know death is not far off. My days are numbered, and I'm not looking forward to it. I want to stay and be with you all. But if I die, I'll be with Christ, which is better. Again, Paul is facing death. Let's put all three of these up on the screen and see if you can spot the theme. <clears throat> what they all have in common. Today you will be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. What's the common theme, you guys? Christ, with Christ. When we die, we're with Christ. When it comes to the afterlife, our hope, the future, what lies beyond, the Bible's not pointing us to a place. It's pointing us to a person. We'll be with Christ. The dead are with Christ. Those saints who've passed on before us, our family and friends who've fallen asleep, are in Christ. Christ has them. Our connection to them is not broken. As much as we are in Christ, we are with them. When death comes for us, we will all be in Christ, with Christ. I don't know if we're going to be conscious or not. Um, it could be we get to hang out with Jesus in heaven. You know, we, we hang out and wait for the resurrection with St. Peter and Moses and Grandma. That's, <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. Uh, that'd be a heck of a conversation. Um, <clears throat> it could be that we're in a blissful state of rest, peace, almost like Jesus holding us in his arms like a, like a mother rocking her child. Personally, I really love that idea. Um, although, disclaimer, I have two young kids at home, so the idea of, of napping for a few centuries sounds amazing. Um, but I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what happens when we die. The Bible doesn't answer that question. All I know is that we're going to be with Christ. And I suspect that is way better than anything we could imagine or explain. 
Put your hope in Christ. Strengthen that relationship while you're here on earth. That is the one thing in this world that's not hevel. That's not vapor. That's the one thing you can take with you. And that brings us back to Ecclesiastes. Vapor, vanity, hevel. It needs to be said, and this is always tricky when it comes to reading the Old Testament as Christians, but the teacher of Ecclesiastes is speaking before Christ. Like, he's B.C. by a few centuries at least. And again, I want to hammer home, he's not wrong. He is well in line with the bulk of the Old Testament, and I am right there with him in this lament that death is not fair. Mortality is not fair. It's frustrating to know that everyone faces the same fate. It doesn't sit well to know that someday I'm going to die and be forgotten. But we will never be forgotten by Christ. I wish the teacher in Ecclesiastes had latched onto that hope. And I wish, I wish he would have talked about resurrection and held up that vision of a world being made new. It's not really in line with Ecclesiastes, though, so it's not that surprising. I'm not even sure if he was aware of that hope, but again, he didn't know Jesus. For those of us who've lost someone, take comfort knowing that they're in Christ. God's got them, and God's got you too. And if you struggle with this whole faith thing, um, if the gospel sounds too good to be true, know that there's room for that. It's okay. Uh, it's okay to look at all the pain and the suffering in the world and be a little skeptical. It's okay to ask questions, to wrestle with that. Um, there's room for that in the Bible. But there's also a hope that we're pointed to. Right alongside this lament at the unfairness of death is this radical hope of a world transformed, a world made new. Maybe you're not sure what you believe about the afterlife. Maybe you can't get that nagging thought out of the back of your head. What if this is it? What if this is all we have? One piece of wisdom I get from Ecclesiastes is that we don't even have this. This is vapor. This life is here and then it's gone. All we have is Christ. Put your hope in him. Live like Jesus. Follow Jesus into the world and know that nothing can ever break your bond with him. Not even death. Let's pray. God, hold us close in times of loss when we're not sure what to think, what to believe, when we don't know what you're doing or where to put our hope. You don't answer all of our questions about the afterlife, what comes next. But you point us to a hope that is bigger and more expansive than we can even imagine. Help us to put our hope in Christ, Lord. For it's Christ who holds us close. It's Christ who holds our loved ones who are no longer with us. It's Christ who comes to transform the world. 
Thank you, God, for being with us in Christ, just as you were with all the saints who came before us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.